Hi, this is Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. Fight Goddess with Skull Combat Sports Equipment, and you are listening to Eddie Goldman with No Holds Barred. Hi, my name is Melissa Smith from GirlBoxing.org, and I'm listening to No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. On this edition of the show, we once again spoke with our colleagues Chris Baldwin of The War Room and Melissa Smith of Girl Boxing on The War Room. A video of this discussion has also been posted on the War Sports YouTube page. We spoke with them by Zoom Tuesday, June 21st. Also on Tuesday, June 21st, was the kickoff press conference for the rematch between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua. That took place in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, where that fight is scheduled to take place August the 20th. There was a lot to discuss about this, including the fight itself, the issue of sports washing, the growth of Saudi boxing, and more on the heavyweights. Here is that discussion. Welcome back to the War Room, my beautiful people and fight fans from all around the world. I am your fight goddess, Chris Baldwin, and I'm here with my co-host, my sister, Melissa Smith. She is a women's boxing historian and my boy, Mr. Eddie Goldman. We call him the conscious of combat sports. Today, we're going to talk about the sports washing with the Anthony Joshua and Usyk fight because uh, they are fighting in Saudi Arabia. So, Eddie, let's just break down what you're, give us your insights on that and, and what you feel like the Western media is not getting right, because I, I know you've got some issues with them. So let's talk about it. Right. Thank, and thank you for that, that intro. You know, part of it, part of it, part of the discussion is obviously right. Saudi Arabia is well documented, has a horrendous human rights record. I alluded to that. I just did an article on Patreon about that. The latest example, they busted a whole bunch of shops, which was selling uh, crayons and children's toys and pencils, which were brightly colored. And some of them had uh, rainbow patterns. And they said this was, quote, promoting homosexuality, just insane kind of stuff and including a, apparently in, in the stuff they confiscated was a box of uh, Crayolas, the, the crayons. So there are no political parties. There are no trade unions. There's no really free independent media. It's an absolute monarchy and it's a theocracy where their version, their interpretation of Sharia law is the law. They don't even have a written penal code, which they're supposedly working on, but there's no transparency or public debate about what should be in, in forthcoming penal code. It's just being done at, at the very top. And obviously nothing will get in there, which won't be approved by uh, the monarchs, the, the crown prince, the de facto ruler, 
uh, Mohammed bin Salman, because the King Salman is still ruling, but he's, he's elderly and, and kind of ill. So uh, Mohammed bin Salman is the guy who's really running the show. And there are all sorts of examples. They have all sorts of executions going on, uh, persecution of various activists who for democracy. They even, they even sometimes have purges among different sectors of the, the royal family and the elite and the monarchs who are opposed to the direction that the, the current group is doing and, and they confiscate their property. There been a lot, a lot of articles about that. So in that sense, that's in, entirely true. It's one of the most repressive regimes in the world. But on the other hand, the, the discussion has been very one-sided in the Western media. And I'll just give an example of that if I can call up this article. There was an article that came out today. We're recording on a Tuesday evening, uh, right after the press conference in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, with Alexander Utsik and Anthony Joshua. And Joshua was asked about sports washing. And the definition that was given in this AFP article, and I, I never took French, so to Ajans France Press, maybe someone who knows French could pronounce it better than me, but that's like the main uh, news agency in, in France. And it talked about how Saudi Arabia recently set up a breakaway golf uh, circuit, the LIV golf circuit that has many uh, top players. They pulled away from the PGA, which then suspended them. They also uh, bought uh, Newcastle in the English Premier League, which ruffled a lot of feathers. They're one of the, the major uh, football clubs in the UK. And they asked Joshua about this. And of course, Joshua's fight with Ruiz was there in December 2019. And earlier they had had Amir Khan against Billy Dibb. And even though that was kind of a, a mismatch, Amir Khan is a, is a big international celebrity. And before that, they had some of the finals in the World Boxing Super Series. And they would have had more, except, of course, in 2020 and 2021, the pandemic slowed everything down, the international travel, sports, everything. Now a lot of that is starting to resume. So now this fight is going to take place August 20th. And Joshua was asked after the press conference, because at the formal press conference, there were no questions and answers. I mean, this is Saudi Arabia. But he was asked about sports watching. And AFP defined sports watching, they said, as, quote, attempting to distract attention from the country's human rights record. And to me, that is, you know, if I were a, a professor or a teacher, and that was the definition given by a student writing about this of sports washing, I might give that like a, a C minus because it's only part of it. Now, Joshua basically gave an answer to the media I'm here to win the heavyweight championship of the world. I like Saudi. I think Saudi's good. I'm having a good time here. I'm treated really well. All that allegation stuff for me, I'm not caught up in any of that stuff. I'm here to have a good time. Mix with the local people, bring entertainment to Saudi. Now, he had been called upon by Amnesty International UK not to 
boycott Saudi Arabia, but to speak out on these human, various human rights issues. And he chose not to, of feigning ignorance on it. But to me, there's another aspect to this. And it's not in any way, I don't want to in any way have this be interpreted as minimizing what goes on in the in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, this oppressive monarchy. It's this definition of sports watching that all they're doing is trying to detract attention from the human rights record. That's all that's going on here. This is just a big charade and a big ruse. And that is not true. Saudi Arabia is a country started out as a desert kingdom with the uh, development of uh, finding oil, eventually setting up OPEC, becoming a major economic force in the world as a petroleum exporting country, amassed an enormous amount of money because it's not, not really that big of a country. They have a public investment fund, PIF, which is a sovereign wealth, wealth fund that has estimates of having $620 billion lying around for the monarchy and these royals to do what they want. And it's controlled by Mohammed bin Salman. So what are they going to do? First of all, the petroleum is only going to last so long, another couple of decades. It's a finite amount. Second of all, we know all that's going on with climate change and global warming. The world is moving away from fossil fuels. In fact, it's even decreased. And some countries like the United States are moving to become less dependent on Middle East oil. So they're looking at this. And ben, Mohammed bin Salman, I think he's in his mid-30s or so. They're looking at this and they go, what's going to happen with our country 10, 20, 30 years down the road. How are we going to continue to develop and, and prosper? And from an economic standpoint, they very clearly realize with their so-called Vision 2030, they have to diversify the economy. And what are they most likely to do? Well, part of it is just investing in all sorts of things. They're investing in businesses that exist and have been making money in the West. But in, on the ground in Saudi Arabia, they're developing their sports, tourism, and entertainment sectors. It'll be very difficult to develop a really robust manufacturing sector outside of petroleum, given the weather conditions there. But you could put up buildings, put up air conditioning, and do all that. And this fight is in Jeddah which is really an interesting choice because it's a port city on the Red Sea. It's also the gateway to uh, the Muslim pilgrims going to Mecca and Medina, but it's also where the, right now the center of their uh, tourism efforts are more so than Riyadh. So this is where this fight is going to be. They haven't announced the venue. It might be at the 35 thousand seat uh, Superdome there that's hosted many other events, including early this year, WWE show. Now, again, you know, that's not sport, but it shows you can have an entertainment event in there and have a lot of fans. I don't know if they had a, a ring or whatever they did for the WWE, but obviously for this, for this fight, they'll, they'll have a ring. And this is 
is also related to development of their, their sports sector. Sports have been developing, including many combat sports in Saudi Arabia for people that are there. They recently had uh, a big boxing exhibition that worked with the TKO fighters and Salt Gym, and of course with the Saudi Arabia Boxing Federation, which is part of the government, it's part of the Ministry of Sport. And they not only had male fighters, they brought in fighters from a number of other countries, they had many female fighters there too. And one of the key people that organizes who spoke at the press conference for uh, Usyk and Joshua too, was Raja Al-Khamis, the vice president of the Saudi Arabian Boxing Federation. She's a board member of the Asian Boxing Federation. And she's somebody that uh, studied internationally. She studied at the University of South California, USC. And she had said she fell in love with boxing back in 2011. She moved back to Saudi Arabia after studying abroad in 2017, and she became the country's first ever certified woman boxer and coach. And she's developing what she says are long-term strategies in Saudi Arabia and gender equality programs. And we know by Western standards, these are extremely limited and not up to what we would want to happen. But it shows it's it's a little more complicated in terms of what's going on. And what's interesting about her, you can actually see her uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. You can see her on social media and she's not wearing a hijab or any of the veils that are required within Saudi Arabia. So some of this stuff is, is starting to change and they're developing this amateur boxing program eventually they want to get a professional boxing program going on so what are they doing to encourage the youth to get involved in boxing which is one of the many sports getting people involved in you bring in major fights you bring in anthony joshua you know the fight with ruiz you bring in the, this fight with Usyk. obviously this is one of the most important fights of the year and in the heavyweight division you bring this in and it'll be interesting to see also were there any side deals that Saudi Arabia worked out with the zone since Joshua has its global exclusive contract with the zone streaming service Did Saudi Arabia invest in this. I think this LIV golf tour now has a deal with the zone. I'm just looking behind the scenes. There's probably a lot of stuff that's going on. So in terms of our attitude, to this, it gets a little complicated. Do you just condemn this thing and say, don't have anything to do with it and just abandon all these people? Or do you just, as most of the boxing people are, just uh, look, put your head in the stand and look the other way? There was also an interesting statement, earlier part of the press conference, by the way, that nobody paid attention to. It was I found more interesting than when Eddie Hearn and and Joshua and Usyk and their their people spoke. Uh, they had the president of the Saudi Arabian Boxing Federation, Abdullah Ahmad Al Harbi, spoke, and he was in a lot of the pictures. And he talked about probably the majority of the country of Saudi Arabia now are youth. Now I don't know if they count migrant workers who have really terrible uh, conditions and 
very few rights, but it's a young population. And they want them, as he said, we want our people to see the stars and get active in the sports they watch. We want our young people to participate, to lead healthy lives. So they've not only been doing this with boxing, but they've been developing programs in other combat sports, bringing in top level trainers in judo and jujitsu there. And of course, uh, football, which the Americans still call soccer, is, is the most popular sport in the world. They have all these different things being developed there. So you can't simply say that this fight is just a ruse to cover up and propaganda to show that they're a modern country with all their terrible human rights record. Yes, it's propaganda to show that, but there's a lot more that's, that's going on. Perhaps in some of the smaller Middle Eastern countries that bring in large events, you could say they're not developing these types of programs seriously. But I think that they're doing that in Saudi Arabia and they want to become a force already starting to become a force in amateur boxing, both male and female amateur boxing, and eventually professional boxing. So I just want to put that nuanced stuff out there and to understand what the, de the decline of boxing in the West that we talk about all the time and all the screw-ups, who's going to come in and fill that void? It's going to be a country like Saudi Arabia that has all these hundreds of billions of dollars lying around. So I don't know what they're paying for this fight. But if they're paying $100 million for this fight or whatever the number really is, that's to us like a dollar or something like that. And that's out of the public investment fund. It's not out of their, out of their own pockets. So look at, look at all sides of this, because I don't think we could just simply ignore this and just say it's a bunch of, you know, have some stereotypes of what, uh, what's going on in, in Saudi Arabia. Look at all the different sides of it. Well, that's a fascinating. That's a fast. Some fascinating insight, uh, Eddie. Because um, if they are thinking that far ahead, uh, I guess it is the best route to take. I mean, if you were looking to try to steer away uh, money, uh, build a sector because your your petroleum dollar is going to be going down. Sports is is a way to do that. But there's just so much corruption that goes that comes with that. It's like if you are uh, a country and they're like pious, right? You're a religious theocracy. Why are you inviting all of this, all of the nasty, ugly, sinful stuff that comes along with having professional fights and having professional sports and creating a whole entire industry? And you know what, what comes along with that. So why, you know, do they think it's worth it? Obviously, they think it's worth it because they're spending millions and millions of dollars to to bring folks over. So it's, it's a, I don't know, to me, it's, it seems hypocritical. To me, it sounds like, um, you know, they know what's gonna come with it. You're trying to appease Westerners, but you know, you're just gonna see, you're gonna create a, a bastion of crap in those little towns on the way to Mecca. That's, that's how I look at it. You know what I mean? Well, Jet Jet is not a little town. It's a city of several million people and they're growing it. And they also have their NEOM project, which might be a little bit high in the sky. And again, everything was delayed 
by the pandemic, but they want to develop this super modern city, which might even have, according to them, Western laws, not Sharia law, which would bring all these tourists and investment and entertainment. And but all who governs other. that if they give you Western laws? Who's governing that? It's still a that's theocracy, a, right? That's a good question, but those rules may not apply in, according to what they're saying in Neom. So you might have different rules and different laws in different parts of the country. Mm. That's And that will be the real center where they could bring the Westerners. For example, you can't drink alcohol in Saudi Arabia. Maybe they'll allow that in Neom. Well, so it's bars? the same thing. Yeah, but when, when you have, if you're, um, you know, for Westerners that come to work in Saudi Arabia, there are little enclaves where Westerners work and live, and they kind of have their own little microcosm of life, and it's separate from everybody right. else. You know, it's a compound, basically. But they don't have a, a an American bar where they could go sit and smoke a cigar or drink whiskey, right? Not yet. No, <laughs> not yet. But, see, look, they're sending a lot of their, their people to be educated in the West, in various Western uh, universities. I just mentioned how she had been at, at USC and at University of California, Riverside. They're sending a lot of people uh, to, to London, to various places in Europe. And if they're going to be studying history over there, they know that monarchies are historically doomed one way or another. It's going to end either easily or in an ugly way most likely in a very ugly way. So they're going to have to figure out a transition. If they want to have a more modern economy, they're going to have to do some other things that that come along with it in terms of well, modernizing what their politics. What you're describing, though, is, you know, not unlike what the Chinese did in the 1980, in the 1970s, really. I mean, when China was opened up and then when Deng Xiaoping came into power, he and Joe and Lai, I mean, they mapped out the next 50 years of China's growth and development and not, what they would become. Not Joe and Lai. Well, uh, Joe and the Lai end of Joe and Lai. Well, no, yeah. no. Well, that's an argument for another day. But yes, Joe and Lai to some degree. They worked understood. to modernize it, but they also took away a lot of the, the social gains that people had it was very complicated I don't necessarily agree with that per se over time in terms of what they were looking to develop to get them into the modern world and diversify their economy um well, i'm not saying it's necessary because china had a, I, a feudal regime they had a revolution that set up a, a one-party communist party dictatorship that had tremendous instability under Mao. And when Mao died, the first thing they did is they threw out the, the gang of four, including his wife. No, I, I know all of that, Eddie. What I'm talking about, though, is sitting is taking a is taking a long view on development, which is what we're talking about in terms okay. of Saudi Arabia, not necessarily the nuances of what worked and what didn't work, because we know there are things that worked very well in China and things that didn't work at all. And that and Saudi Arabia is going, if they're really serious about taking their country and bringing it away from the kind of monarchy that it is now into a more modern, postmodern society, if you will, with a diversified economy 
and a more liberal, uh, a more Western understanding within an Islamic construct of nationhood, which doesn't really even exist. Right, that's crazy. um, Which is very complicated. How that then, if they're looking to truly do that, that's an extraordinary change. And it's not something that's going to just happen over the next year. It's not something that just occurs. It, we will know whether it was successful if we have this discussion 20 years from now, 30 years from now. How has that development really gone? If we look at I the Chinese we'll model, it was, <laughs> well, whatever. Our successors will look at this. Right. But if, 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 I mean, and, and you look at the 2030 program, it's very aggressive in terms of what they want to do, how they will measure their success, what comes next, what does a 2040 look like or a 2050. Um, certainly China did that. Some things were very successful. Some things were not. Um, we weigh them over time. Um but it's not, a, I think what you're getting at, Eddie, is it's not something that's just a flash, that there's, it's more nuanced. And this is one sports and making entertainment and a sports opportunity as entertainment um, is part of that strategy of modernizing their economy and changing the way that their country is perceived in the world and how they grow and develop over time. I think that's what I'm hearing, and that's a very interesting perspective and one we should certainly look at. Right, and, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy. There's going to be tremendous oh. conflict because we, you know, one of the most obvious things of repression was the, the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, Khashoggi which yes. they've, they, they've never really been any, you know, attribution of who was really responsible that couldn't have happened in a country like that although it was done in 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 turkey that could not have been approved without the approval of mohammed bin salman that's the way things work in that country so what they did is they tried a couple of the the lower level guys who were involved in that and they put all the blame on a couple of rogue elements and nobody buys that and it really backfired because how many people read Jamal Khashoggi in, in the Washington Post and around the world, they got so much more bad publicity and attention for that. And that, that was something that happened, what, about four years ago? People are still talking about it uh, today. And so you also have what they're doing in uh, Yemen with this terrible war in Yemen, although there's a temporary ceasefire going on. Yeah, it's there, the second, second cycle of it, right? Yeah, yeah it's it's it's... There's so many different moving parts. Saudi, a Saudi Arabian company now is starting to have investments in Israel, even though Saudi Arabia does not recognize Israel and is officially hostile to Israel. A lot of things are changing all at once. And there's going to be resistance among the Saudi royals and leaders to this i'm not saying it's just going to all very peacefully easily and cheerily evolve it's not going to happen that way but there is certain things are being put inevitably in motion and this is part of it and i go back to my original point just saying this is sports washing misses all this 
this other stuff because it involves world politics. President Biden is going to Saudi Arabia after previously dismissing them as a terrible regime. Why? Because of the changed world situation, they need to get more support against uh, Russia and its, and its war crimes and aggression against Ukraine. And that requires making certain compromises. The U.S. role in the Middle East is much weaker since the Iraq war, since uh, the debacles in Iraq and Afghanistan. And Saudi Arabia is looking around. That's why they, they're even having talks with Iran, their, their bitter uh, regional enemy. That's why they're starting to more privately deal with Israel. That's why you had the Abraham Accords was successful between uh, Israel and United Arab Emirates, UAE and uh, Bahrain. And uh, who was the other country? I think Morocco was involved then and Sudan. There are a lot of moving parts and a lot of things changing around the world. And this, this from for this boxing match is just one part of the whole thing. So I, that's what I'm saying. I just haven't seen nuanced analysis of this. And I go back that even Amnesty International is not saying for Joshua, don't fight there. They didn't say that. They're not advocating that. That's why it's a little it's a little complicated. And I also want to educate people in terms of what's happening in in the world situation too. what's right. happening in the American political situation. All these things are, are interrelated and what's happening in sports. So that, that's my that's my point. Just don't just don't simplify this. And you also have to figure out, do you just abandon these people in the boxing community? in Saudi Arabia and in countries like this? Or do you find a way to have some engagement with them? And I don't know on what terms that would have to be, but I don't know that you just want to abandon all these people. I just think- Well, I, you know, and, and to that point, uh, um, you know, that's why how we've been covering the, you know, the issues with the IBA, amateur sports become particularly important, amateur boxing. I mean, the fact that Saudi Arabia just this, in this period of time has started to allow women to box, not only that, you know, in, have an invitational, have a boxing team, which then presumably means they will go on to meets and, and start to develop talent is a huge, huge thing. So, um, in, Corruption in, in amateur in the over un, umbrella amateur boxing organization does also have a negative impacts on those kinds of initiatives and it's things that we need to keep reminding people of that um, you know not participating in the Olympics or having corruption of a of an umbrella um, amateur organization has other really important impacts downstream and. Um, we can't lose sight of that and we have to be able to support the fact that there is this groundswell of continuing on an ongoing development of those kinds of sports initiatives. I would just add one thing also that we talked a lot about the crisis in IBA and the ties to the very corrupt gas prom. I put on Twitter a link to an article about all the corruption with the, the, the Russian state controlled gas prom energy uh, monopoly. And Gazprom has said by the end of this year, they're no longer going to be financing IBA. 
So who's going to fill that gap? Either the whole yeah. thing is going to collapse or somebody is going to come in. And I don't have any, I'm just spec, this is educated speculation on this. But with all the attention by countries like Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates to professional boxing, and also in amateur boxing, as we said, they're going to look at the situation and they're going to, you know, Gazprom reportedly gave 30 million bucks to keep IBA afloat. 30 million bucks, this, this fight, this one fight, they're paying more than 30 million bucks for. They may be the ones to come in to, to bail out IBA. And if they do so, given their role in the Asian boxing confederation everything that we've been talking about it might be less controversial and it might be a bailout if iba is willing to do it on the other hand they're just in such hot water with the, the rigged actions they just had they lost in the court of arbitration for sport they now have to have new elections for president for their their uh, board of directors so it that may be too far gone but it's not going to go away even if iba sinks there may be some other organization to along and create another olympic boxing federation and where do you think the money is going to come from that it's not i don't think it's too much is going to come from the west i think it's going to come from countries in uh the middle eastern region that that's just a guess because i've seen them do the same thing in other sports i've seen them do it with uh jiu-jitsu in the united arab emirates where they funded and played a big role in the Jiu-Jitsu International Federation, which is the uh, federation that's trying to get Jiu-Jitsu to be an Olympic sport. That's one of the official uh, international federations. And of course, in, with MMA and the, the long-time connections between Abu Dhabi and UFC and their own Abu Dhabi events, the Abu Dhabi Combat Club, Abu Dhabi Pro, all those jiu-jitsu events they've had like a big interest in this and this is a big opportunity this is already an olympic sport you want to play a role in the olympics and push your agenda you could just basically buy this international federation i don't know if they're going to do it i don't know if it'll succeed but i would say keep an eye out on it just an opinion well I know we talked about what may happen to Saudi Arabia in 20 or 30 years. I just looked and Jeddah is 39 feet above sea level. Climate change is going to wipe them out. I'm going to tell you that now. So uh, <laughs> they've got a few years to get in their boxing program, take over Gazprom, go ahead and invest that money because in 20, 30 years, they're going to be underwater. So with that, folks... <laughs> We're going to call it a wrap. And you guys, uh, Melissa, tell the folks where, where they can find you, baby. Sure. Uh, I am um, at Girl Boxing Now on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a website, girlboxing.org. That's right. And buy her book on Amazon, people. Yes. Right. A History of Women's Boxing. That's right. You got to plug it, baby. Plug it. Plug it. Plug it. Plug it. All right, Eddie. <laughs> tell the people where they can find you. All right, and social media, mainly on Twitter at NHB News until Elon Schmuck completely uh, destroys it. I still have a Facebook account that once in a blue moon I I check. Hit me on Twitter at NHB News, my website, eddiegoldman.com. 
www.patreon.com. And you can also go subscribe to my Patreon page to support independent journalism. That article that I talked about earlier about Saudi Arabia, why you shouldn't bring your crayons to Usyk Joshua too. You might end up getting lashes. And that's at patreon.com slash Eddie, Eddie Goldman. So check all that stuff out. And that's be nuanced. Right. And to, by the way, the boxing media, not only on what we discussed, but in all this stuff can just go to hell because the kind of stuff they're putting on, we saw reported by our friend Nicola Talent of the Sunday World in Ireland that Tyson Fury was banned from traveling to the United States. Also along with Matthew Macklin, who with Kinahan co-founded MTK Global, Coogan Catches, who helped set up IFL, the uh, video site, and also uh, Ben Davidson, the, the boxing trainer. And you don't see this reported on a lot of these websites. ESPN had a long story on what are the options for Tyson Fury? Is he going to fight again? Is he going to retire? Is he going to go to WWE? All these different things. And they didn't even mention that he's banned from coming to the U.S. <laughs> and then Gareth Davies of the, the Telegraph, longtime boxing and MMA writer, man, I've known the guy for a long period of time, did a, a softball interview with Tyson Fury, 20-something minutes about what his future plans are. Fury said he's doing a world tour, not not of boxing, but of appearances of, you know, schmoozing and singing and whatever. And he said he's going to uh, Asia. He also said he's going to America. Davies didn't mention anything about this. Like, say, well, I thought you're banned from there. Absolutely nothing. So you're getting all this propaganda from these different sites. You want to find out what's going on? Check out the war room. Check out No Holds Barred. That's, that's right. where you're going to get the truth. And that's where you're going to find out what's really happening. And to hell with this, these propaganda sites. Don't don't pay much attention to them. You're better off just reading press releases because you'll get some <laughs> dates and times rather than the, the nonsense that these people are, are putting out. That's right, folks. You heard it right here from Mr. Eddie Goldman. He is the conscious of combat sports. You guys the undisputed. The undisputed. Undisputed. Right. Join our boxing community on Twitter. You can hit me up at Angry Afro Radio because I am that angry black woman. And I'm on Instagram at Fight Goddess Fitness. All right. So, you guys, we'll see you next time. Please subscribe and follow us. And we will see you next week. Peace, love, and push up.